Well, we're back for another edition of Unplugged and three in a row and probably our best win of the year. There have been a couple of nice ones over the journey, but that was one where it all started to click. Obviously, the Richmond game was impressive in the wet. The Collingwood game was very good for three quarters, but, but a little frustrating the way it finished. We haven't quite put it all together. And after an inaccurate start, but one where we played pretty well against Brisbane, we put the foot down and, and really did dominate that game in periods. We, we lost the lead in the third quarter, but re-established control almost immediately. We, we probably had, outside of Dane Zork, we might have had nine of the best ten players on the ground over the course of the uh the day, a really strong finish, which is not something we've done a lot of this year. We, When the game was on the line, we powered away and won convincingly. And what it does do is it puts us ninth. And uh, judging on results that are unfolding in front of us, the equation is simple. If we defeat Port Adelaide this week, we will finish the round in the eighth. Um, that will be the case, regardless of what happens with any other matches. At the time of recording, Fremantle are about eight goals down on Geelong. So assuming they don't win that game, it would guarantee us a passage into the eight with victory. Obviously, we would have to win in order to do that. But um, that's a remarkable position given where we were at um, a few weeks ago as a club and, and the fact that we can even think about that. Uh, we've spoken a lot about the, the two minds that St Kilda fans are in. On one hand, it's exciting to be in that position, but I always have the thought in the back of my mind, are they setting me up to just hurt me even more than they were going to? I'd accepted that we weren't going to play the finals. Now it looks like we might. Are they just going to hurt me again? But uh, but hopefully it doesn't uh, it doesn't pan out that way. Nick, um, that was a pretty pleasing night. Um, it hasn't gone that well for us for a while. No, that's probably our, our best win that I can remember for for quite a while, at least this year. I mean, we had, had a couple of good wins last year, obviously, but um, certainly this year, I think it was our, our closest to a full four-quarter performance. Uh, I think, like you said, we kicked six out of the last seven or seven out of the last eight to finish off the game, which is something that we haven't shown for, for quite a while. Um, but, you know, we kind of, it was kind of a, a dominant win, even though it was only 40-odd points or whatever, but it, it should have been more than that by the end of the, the way that, we dominated play, we dominated possession, we dominated field position, you know, dominated scoring opportunities. Um, and you're right, Zorko was was really good for them, as he usually is, um, and he often plays well against us. But, uh, you know, I think the, the rest of our guys, and especially defensively, you know, our defensive unit has has performed incredibly well all through the year, even when we were, you know, when we were getting walloped earlier in the year. Um, they were the kind of the one group that could still hold their head up high, and, and they've continued that, through this period as well, um, you know, incredibly efficient, incredibly effective. Look at guys like like Webster who's who stepped in and and filled a role that, that we weren't sure that he could do. You know, with Geary and and Patton out, um, you know, the, the way that he kind of kept Charlie Cameron at, at bay the entire game uh, was really impressive. Uh, Wilkie and and Dougal Howard, obviously, we we know what they can do, and, and Tommy Highmore has kind of stepped in seamlessly, like like he's been playing for ten years. Um, so whatever they're doing defensively, you know, in the club, I think Aaron Hamill's our defensive coach this season. Um, you know, the, the improvement is definitely there across that back six or, or back eight, whatever you want to call it. Um, and they're just a really impressive, a really impressive unit that don't seem to get the the credit that they deserve. Yeah, and I'm, I'm trying to work out where who what the I guess lucky charm was. Was it? Leo Connolly coming in or GT being on here? Because ever since all these things have happened, uh, we're a completely different club. He, gave uh, them, he did give them a bake. He gave them a pretty oh, big whack. I'm, I'm wondering if any of them actually heard it because it's... Uh, well, we, 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 do know that, we do know that people at the club do listen. 
We do. We have. Yes, yes, we do. That we have heard that. Time, so. We just got some um, high school in there and sorted it all out with Leo. So. Yeah, but it's 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 just where this has come from, and you just sort of look and go, if just just a couple of the other results, if we'd played just that little bit extra, a little bit better, you know, a couple of early games this year, we'd be right in amongst it right now. We'd, we'd be looking, going, all right, let let let's really hit the end of this season hard and, and aim for a top four. But unfortunately we're just scrapping for the I guess it's it's pretty much only eighth position at the moment, I right? the, the And seventh. Maybe seventh. But yeah. yeah, I think you're sort of looking going, okay, if we get in, we're gonna probably scrape into eighth. So it that's yeah, it's really as you're saying, great looking ahead, but at the same time going, uh, yeah, we've we've seen it before. We know what happens. So uh, I mean the last three games, you got, the other thing you looked at, I've been looking at sort of how good the wins you can put it into context are as well. Those three wins have been against teams who, along with us, finished in the top six last year. So they're, they're not small wins. They, they're, they're teams that finished in our six, so the six, six, six in the groups on the ladder. They're the teams that if you beat, then you know you're going well. So they're, they're also... the teams that... Yeah, yeah. I mean, just just on that, there are also teams that historically have a bit of the wood on us. I mean, Richmond, we know that we've matched up pretty well with over the last few years, but you know, it's still three-time premiers in the last four years. Collingwood historically beat us, and it's normally Grundy and and the Rucks that kind of get on top of us, and and their midfield late they tend to run over the top of us. And Brisbane, um, you know, they they play pretty well against us. They run all over us at, at times, and, and they've had some pretty big wins over us over the last couple of years as well. So it's good to beat some of those bogey teams, I guess. You don't go to the Gabba on a Saturday night very often and win. That's that's another thing too. So it's, yeah, just, I don't know if things are just lining up now when we're looking going, hey, <laughs> the team can do this sort of, put this sort of game together. We've found the mix that has every position sort of in their, I, I, I guess their best roles and their best, um, the best the best setup the team has had all season because I mean three weeks ago well, I think we had four changes and those four changes have come in and absolutely changed everything for us. So well, our last four games we've conceded nine goals, two goals, eight goals, and eight goals. Like the nine goals was against Adelaide in a game we lost, but our defence stopped us from losing that game probably half an hour earlier than we did. And the Collingwood uh, against Richmond obviously a masterclass. That's right. And um, obviously against Richmond, we dominated. Against Collingwood, we were in total control until three quarter time. They sort of let it go a bit late. And obviously Brisbane are a pretty high scoring team. And we kept them to eight uh, over the course of it. They had four at half time. And um, just to intercept marking everything, obviously Highmore, Wilkie, Howard leading the way in that regard. Webster's doing his job. So the defence is holding up well. I guess the interesting one is Ben Long being released back forward. So when, when he first started, he was a, a forward um, we then tried him back. And, and ironically, when Nick Hind came in, we were playing long back and Hind forward. And retrospectively, I wonder if if, if Long was way. forward and Hind was back, we still would have kept Nick. And it would have been, you know, one of those things. But, but yeah, Ben Long's doing a, a pretty good job, particularly given, obviously, Higgins was out of the side last week and will miss again this week with a, a few issues with the back. Uh, Mason Wood went out. Dean Kent came in and, and did his job. I thought he played that, that type of role pretty much the same way. McKenzie's been excellent. Um, 
couple of times this year, I've sort of changed my tune on him one way or the other. He was brilliant against West Coast earlier in the year and then struggled against Richmond and I was never entirely sold on him. But um, his A, attack on the contest, his courage, his tackling, his overhead marking is terrific um, and he's starting to hit targets. So really pleased with, with what he's doing uh, at the moment. I think even though Butler's not hitting the scoreboard, his energy in the last couple of weeks has been good. He's been creative. Um, that little inside-out check side that set up Max King in the last quarter, which then went to long for what was probably the sealer. Um, and obviously the midfield, Zach Jones had a, a pretty significant impact. And it'll be really interesting to see at what point the club decides to pull the trigger on Dan Hanabry, who obviously played... In, only about 40 or 50% of the game last week in the VFL. I think he had 17 and kicked a goal. Um, he'll play another one this week. Um, whether that's enough. Uh, the good news also is that Clark and Caulfield are ahead of schedule. Caulfield's probably only a week away and Hunter Clark might only be two weeks away. And um, and that becomes pretty important for us too. So yeah, overall, I think the defence particularly strong. And Max King's form in the last three to four weeks, really impressive. Like he played on Harris Andrews, who's the best defender in the game. And in the third quarter, he took three or four marks, just jumping over the top of him. He's kicking straight again, moving around the ground well. Um, so, yeah, 10 marks against his name. He was um, he was massive for us. And, and Membry's had a, a pretty underrated year, too. He took 14 marks on the weekend, mm. roaming around. He's kicking basically two every week. And I think his role in the side has been pretty pretty significant for us so at the moment it's it's sort of clicking and we haven't even mentioned the rucks which is basically the key to our success yeah i think that yeah the confidence the confidence in each other i think is what's sort of helped out a lot um you talk about those small forwards i was going to put a little bit of a tidbit on each sort of small forward there i mean first up ben long he looks so much better in the forward line It, it just he, he finds space. He finds a, a spot to, for the ball to be kicked to. He's he's basically making his own, uh, own position and making his defender chase him around. It it they kind of lose him and um yeah, it's just making it difficult for the defenders to do anything down there. Kent you mentioned as well. He he could be part of the reason Max King had that massive quarter. There was. I don't know if any of you two saw the footage. There was footage shown of just the balls outside the 50 and the forwards, Maxie's running around and um, Andrew's trying to chase him. Every time they'd start moving, Kent ran between the two of them. Just, just, just to put him off, just to keep Andrew's out of it. And he did this continuously and just gave Max that metre, two metres, just to give him that little bit of space. And, that's what that that was a huge difference. Watching that footage from behind the goal, I thought that that is brilliant. Kent, he Kent might not have got any ball in that quarter, but he probably set up three goals. He he gave Max that positioning. So I was, I was watching that going that that is brilliant. Um, and what was the other little small spot? We had Burns pop up and kick two. He he runs in there and does the these jobs occasionally. Um, but just the small forwards, the the small players there. With with the Matt Max's feet as well, he he's going. If I don't if I don't take the mark, they're there doing their job, and it's just the confidence of each other. If someone drops a mark, or whatever, we seem to be getting to the ball more, a lot more than what we were earlier in the season, and yeah, mopping it up. Um, even Steely off the pack from Max as well. So it's. 
we we seem to be getting there first every time the ball hits the ground. It, it's it's funny. We tweeted after the game that there was a lot to unpack because I think there's a lot to there's a lot that's changed within the footy club over the last month, and and it's clearly there's there's just a different vibe around it since you know four or five weeks ago. And, and you mentioned before that chat with with GT and you know where we were at at that point and the, and the tone of that that chat that we had with him. Um, and, and the vibe is completely different right now. But you know you, you look at at those guys and and the the names that you've mentioned. Ben Long, Tim Embry, Mackenzie, Kent, King. Some of them weren't even in the team a month ago. Some of them were clearly underperforming. Um, and the fact that we're now talking about these guys, and I remember last week, um, you know, we, we were short on time last week, and I, I said to you guys after we we stopped recording that if Ben Long has another good game, I want to make sure that we talk about Ben Long next week because what he does and the way that he plays as a forward, he he. He plays the same way when he's in defense, but he doesn't have the the understanding or the the vision of where the field is and, and where he is when he's down back. And, and his aggressiveness at the ball at the man is a difference maker. He's an impact player when he's forward of the ball. When he's behind the ball, he's also an impact maker and a difference maker, but in a negative way because he's he's never fully in control. What he does when he's forward of the ball is that his defenders, the guys that are marking him or the guys that are zoning that part of the ground are never really sure what he's going to do. And so they're always kind of walking on eggshells. They're always looking over their shoulder. They're they're never sure where he is because he's always on the move, but he always hits the pack hard. He hits the ball hard. He hits the man hard. And we know, we know that he does that. We know that's the way that he plays. He's aggressive and he he kind of toes the, the, toes the line. He, He gets a bit of white line fever. Um, but when he's forward of the ball, you can you can afford that and you can afford to give away a couple of those free kicks because you're playing that way um, and it's not that damaging. But what he does offensively is way more damaging than than what he gives us off halfback or, or in the back pocket. Tim Membry was in horrible form a month ago and, and I don't know whether it was you know, being slammed by Caro or, or whoever it was at the club that was kind of leaking information, but he's as soon as he came back in, into the team, he's kind of shown that leadership. Um, and we've seen it in the last few minutes of every quarter, kind of that ability for him to float back and drop back and take intercept marks. He, he had 14 marks on the weekend. Um, and he, he had something similar, I think 10 or 11 the week before. His ability to read the play and read what is required from him. Um, and, and often it's not just taking those marks inside 50 and, and kicking a couple of goals, but often it's having that, um, decisiveness to, to be the man. And, and we've spoken to, to guys before that it's not necessarily a coaching move, but he has that knowledge of when to, when to swing back, when to move back and to drop into the hole and, and to be that guy that stands up to take the, the intercept mark or the contested mark down back and, and what to do in those moments. Um, and he's been huge in, in a few of those moments over the last month. Dan McKenzie, like you said, his attack on the ball and, and the way that he, he hits a contest is is really really impressive, and he's starting to impact in other ways, like you said before, Parker, in terms of hitting targets around the ground, but also hitting the scoreboard. Um, Dean Kent, like you said, H is just always on the move, and and one of the things that was the big rap on him at Melbourne was that the power in his legs allowed him to run hard, and it didn't matter at what stage, it didn't matter if it was five minutes in the into the first quarter or five minutes to go in the last quarter. He has the ability to always be on the move and always be running and always be a target or always be a decoy. It doesn't really matter what his role is, that he's always on the move 
And it, that's really hard to defend against. And especially when you've got guys like Dan Butler and like Max King and, and some of these other guys that can impact on the scoreboard. Dean Kent doesn't always have to hit the scoreboard, but he has to make defenders accountable. And he did that really well on the weekend. And, and Max King, you're not going to see too many better games from a 20-year-old forward on an all-Australian fullback than you're going to see by Max King on Saturday night. And I know that Harris Harris Andrews was injured and, and he missed you know, a lot of the second half. Um, but what Max King was able to do in that second and third quarter um, was be an impact player and hit the scoreboard. And, and that started about three weeks ago, you know, in that Richmond game. Um, and he kicked two goals, one from either side of the goals, both from the boundary line. Um, and his confidence levels, you've seen him, he's been a different player almost ever since that moment. Um, and his ability to change a game or to dominate a game, even if it's only for seven or 10 minutes, uh, you know, it, it gives us such a lift. It gives us such a lift when he's playing well. Kick 11 goals, three in his last five games, which is a good sign as well for for Max. And yeah, it's funny. Obviously, we, we had the discussion after the Crows loss with Grant Thomas in our own almost round table. When the final siren sounded against Adelaide, if, I think if all of us painted every possible scenario from that point on, turning point might have been a fair way down the list. Um, in fact, probably a distant last on the list. And, and maybe it might turn out to be that way. But uh, the bye was probably handy and getting into some wet weather conditions where you've got to put your head over the footy and just fight like they did against Richmond and Collingwood was probably important for them as well. But vote's pretty tough. There'd be a dozen apologies across the board. Um, I gave an apology to Luke Dunstan, who was very, very close to being in our best three. Uh, Zach Jones gets an apology. Um, Membry gets an apology. I gave a vote to King only because of the extreme impact of what he did in that second quarter. That that basically blew the game open when it was an arm wrestle. He opened it up and we were in control. Even though we lost the lead briefly, uh, we felt like we were in control most of the way through. Ten marks on an All-Australian fullback, three goals. Um, I mean, statistically, it doesn't make you the best player on the ground, but I thought his impact was huge. Two votes to Tom Highmore, played his best game for the club, just intercepted so much and his shutdown role. And, and Jack Steele's had 15 in the last quarter and kicked two goals. He's had 34 or whatever it was for the game. And um, I think you might have mentioned it, Nick, or someone mentioned it on Twitter that he's polled in the virtual Brownlow, he's polled something like 16 votes in seven games or something along those mm. lines. So, um, yeah, well, 16 votes in six games if it sort of goes that way. But, but yeah, he was um, he was best on ground again. Nick, I had I you think said? It was, I think it was Dylan Atkinson on Twitter that, right. that said yeah. that since since the start of 2020, Jack Steele leads the AFL Coaches Association votes, which is mm. amazing. It's mm. yeah, it's just amazing. Um, but yeah, I mean, very similar. It's really hard to pick just three three blokes to give votes mm. to. Uh, I've got apologies to Tom Highmore for obvious reasons. Um, Jack Billings, Jimmy Webster, Ben Long, Max King, Cal Wilkie, Jack Sinclair, I thought was really good again. And, and you know, would have to be top five, maybe top three in the best and fairest. At this stage, he's had a phenomenal year. And and Ryan Burns, who just week after week, he's, he's not, he's never been the outstanding player on the ground, but he does his job every week and he gets, he wins the ball both contested, uncontested, bobs up with a goal here and there, he tackles, chases, runs hard, just does, does everything that is asked of him. And, and it's surely it's only a matter of time before he gets that 
that Rising Star nomination. But I gave one vote to Luke Dunstan, and this was really hard for me because the way I saw Luke Dunstan's game was nearly his best game for the football club. You know, it wasn't – in terms of statistics, you know, he didn't get 40, he got 29. Um, six clearances, not his best mark. 530 metres gained is not his best mark. Seven inside 50s, but at 83% efficiency, he was incredibly efficient with the ball. He, and he played his role to absolute perfection. Um, and he was very, very good. And I almost almost gave him three votes, but um, there were two blokes that I thought had had a bit more impact. And, and the two votes I gave to Tim Embry, I thought his leadership was immense. 17 touches, 14 marks, four inside 50s, eight score involvements and two goals. His impact on the, the ground... And I think his impact on the team in general is huge and his leadership has been huge over the last month. And obviously, you know, the clear outstanding player on the ground was, was Jack Steele at 32 touches, seven tackles, six clearances, nine score involvements, five intercepts, which is, you know, for a guy who plays the way that he does, he's not often lurking, you know, loose in defence, but for him to, to take intercept mark, and especially in that second half where he was huge, um, two goals in the last quarter, 90% efficiency. The guy is just, I mean, he's superhuman for us at the moment. And it's amazing the things, the things that he's doing and the fact that he's still underrated. And I thought I was going to be a little bit controversial with some of the players I was leaving out, but I've actually gone exactly the same as what Parco has. So, um, yeah, one to one to Max for the, that quarter alone. I mean, we, we get... Yeah, two quarters like that in a game from him, we're we're comfortably going to be getting home. It's and that's the thing we know. We know his ability is there, and it's it's just all of a sudden going to happen, and we're going to see he's going to tear a team apart very very soon. You can just it's just just bubbling at the moment, and it's just going to it's all of a sudden just about to burst. I think so. When it does, it's going to be very exciting. Um, Two to Highmore, that that defensive work was just magnificent. Some of those, some of those intercept marks running back into the packs. That that that's not a first year AFL player thing to do. That I mean, yes, he's yes, he's older, but still, he's first year AFL. That that's not things he should be doing for us just yet. He shouldn't be playing the way he's. It's it, it it's a credit to these recruiters to get the two South Australian guys across the mature age players and you look back at the start of the last year and think well if you've got those two names there at best defenders you'd be thinking who are they that's where where are we getting from what, what how bad are we going if we've got two new players who are our best defenders so got, got to give a big a big shout out to it to our friend chris toche for, yeah. for his role i mean he's the the recruiting manager for South Australia. Um, and, yeah, and he's so the ap- huge role amazing finds. Yeah, absolutely amazing finds, those two. So, um, and yeah, three to Jack. That's That that game was le- leader written all over it, as as it is. And um, there's yeah, not much more you can say about that, to be honest. Uh, I thought another apology I forgot to mention. I thought Billings played his best game in a while. So that was a handy performance. And been lucky enough to call the NAB League a bit in recent weeks, and I've had Sandy three or four times, and young Max Heath, a uh, a good talent. Like he's, he, you wouldn't be able to play him in the AFL next week. He's still a bit raw, but um, 
he's, you know, the numbers he's putting up at VFL level where he's getting sort of 35 to 40 hitouts a game, getting 20 possessions, taking 10 marks and kicking a couple of goals. Uh, he's doing whatever he wants in the ruck. Um, you'll, if he wants to thump it 20 metres forward, he can. If he wants to put it down someone's throat, he can. If he wants to take it out of the ruck, he can do that too. He just does whatever he wants in, in the bounces. Of, I've hardly seen him lose one of those, but... Uh, at times, you'll drop behind the play and take marks. At times, you'll just go and sit in the goal square and outmark three or four guys. He kicks well. So, um, yeah, it's still a work in progress. But at that level, he's tearing it up at the moment. So, um, signs what are, are pretty hearing, good for him. We, we spoke during the week about Max Heath. And, and one of the things that you kind of told us was that, that he's spending a, a few hours each week with Paddy Ryder. And mm-hmm. what what can you tell us a bit about that, that time or, or how they're kind of utilising Paddy to mentor Matt. It's basically because he's still at school um, and and still doing his, his lower-level footy, that the club have basically understood that it's a project thing. They don't have him at the club all that often. They're basically saying... Uh, we've we've tied you away. We'll, we'll nurture you through, but but do what you're doing. Stick with your school. Stick with your local footy. And they basically just said, look, we'll, we'll bring you down here and develop you wherever we can. So I'm pretty sure it's literally it might be early in the week. He goes down for maybe one session and just basically works with with Ryder and Marshall. Um, he's sort of a bit of a combination of the two, where he, he sort of wrestles a bit like Marshall does, but he's a natural leaper like Ryder is. And yeah, I just think he'll he'll feed off those guys a little bit. It's just basically a, almost a a day off from his, his schooling stuff to come down and, and just learn the rat craft off a couple of guys, and, and which is invaluable. I mean, if you've got Ryder there and you need this era parent, then you've got to get him learning. Um, for he's he's probably a couple of years away from playing a bit of AFL, but um, but yeah, that'll be really important for him. I I want to ask you guys a little bit about a change in strategy that that hmm. I've been seeing and and. In previous years, especially with the mid-season draft, you know, we took Jack Mayo a couple of years ago and I think he ended up doing his ACL and we let him go at the end of that season. Um, and I'm not sure what the what the end goal with was with Jack Mayo in terms of what the point of recruiting him was because he didn't seem like he was all that close to selection mm. at that point. But everything that we've kind of seen from Max Heath and, and Cooper Sharman is that mm. these guys are here for the long haul and, and they were recruited to play a role, not this year, but in future years. Is, mm-hmm. is that something that you guys have kind of noticed? And Sharman looks like, looks like a bit of a find to be, to be frank. He, he looks like he's a good player in the, in at BFL level already. Um, but Max Heath, clearly you don't take a guy in the mid season draft and then play him in the NAB league mm. for, for six months. Like that's a guy that you want to have on your list for two or three years, at least. Um, is there some, is there a, a strain, a, a change in strategy that you guys can see, is happening throughout the footy club at this point? Possibly. And I think with Max, we knew that he wasn't going to last much longer. Either someone was going to take him in straight after us in the pre-season, in the mid-season draft, or they were going to take him very early in the national draft. So we basically locked him away saying, well, we've got you now um, as a long-term strategy. Cause we know that, you know, Ryder and Marshall are so important to us, but we don't have a lot underneath that. We've got Alabacus and um, really, a hunter who's, you know, a mature age recruit, but probably at his ceiling as a player. We've seen him play a few games. So, um, yeah, I'd say a little bit of that. I mean, Mayo was a bit projecty, certainly, um, and unlucky, it must be said, obviously, with those injuries. But, um, yeah, a little bit of that. And, and getting at, looking at, I know every, every side's got academy players as well, but we've got a couple of those. There's a guy called Windhager who's a, a small list of medium forward. There's... Um, 
young Paris, who's the son of Nova Paris Nebone, the uh, dual Olympian, um, who's lightning quick, obviously, like mum, and um, moves pretty well. Um, I saw him kick a couple on the weekend too. So, yeah, it, it's good to see. I mean, I haven't done a lot of look, just through nature where I haven't had a chance to watch a lot of that sort of footy for 10 years probably. So it's good to um, it's good to at least see what some of those guys look like and even to have some clue when the draft rolls around as to what some of these boys are like. But, um, yeah, I think we've got a couple of a couple of handy prospects. I mean, they're, they're project players, so it's, it's impossible to know because it's been such an interrupted year with COVID um, and none of them played last year. But, yeah, he's definitely a player. He's, he's got a good size to him. So that's one that, you know, I think he'll be, you know, next year he'll be full-time at the club um, and we'll see a fair bit from him. But, yeah, liking the look of that. And, um one of our special guests or our special guests this week, we've spoken to a lot of guys that played in around about that era from the late 80s, early 90s, the likes of Frank Coughlin, Burke, Lowe, Harvey, obviously Russell Morris, uh, David Grant being another one of those. And we'll add another to that list, uh, a man who uh, didn't always necessarily look the part, but was a very, very good footballer for the club for uh, quite a period of time. I speak of Mick Dwyer. Up towards the 50. Woods gets back there. But Lowe charges at him and takes another mark. Woods could have gone a bit hard at that one. Dwyer beats a man. Goes for goal. It's home. Saints forward again. Harvey gets it back with an old one-two. Harvey to lock it. One out. Not this time. In comes Kicker. He's got a chance for his second. Goes back to Fletcher. Fletcher drops and pops up to Dwyer. And Dwyer kicks the ball. Well, the latest edition on Unplugged debuted for the club as a teenager back in 1986. It was tough times for the Saints, but he flourished in the back end of the 80s and was a key part of St Kilda's finals run in 1992 in particular. And after a decade in the game, he was a part of what was unfortunately Fitzroy's final year in the AFL. 88 games in all at AFL level. I speak of Mick Dwyer. Thanks very much for jumping on. No problem, Darren. Now, you arrived at the club during what most people would appreciate was a pretty dark period. I think in your first year, St Kilda won their fourth consecutive wooden spoon. Can you sort of take us through your arrival coming from the southeast of Melbourne down near Dandenong at a place called uh, Lindale and, and obviously your, your first impressions, I think, with Graham Jelly as coach? He would have been, yeah, yeah. So I was uh, I was zoned to North Melbourne back at the time in the old zone days, pre-draft, um, and I was playing under-16s for Lindale, um, and uh, ironically, um, I used to play against um, at club level and school level against Sean Mullane, who was uh, Darren's younger brother. Um, and uh, and at the time, Darren was actually trying to get to St Kilda. Um, and there was a uh, the incident with uh, Silvio Fischini and Paul Morwood crossing over from from Sydney, South Melbourne, and playing at St Kilda. Um, Darren was zoned to South Melbourne and um, uh, I think back in the day um, South Melbourne had told Darren that 
um, he could deal with any other club but St Kilda. Um, and so Bob Mullane, Darren, Darren and Sean's father, who's, who's no longer with us, um, uh, I, we were playing Kimura, which is where Sean went to school, in a school game, year 10, I think we were. I was in year 10. And um, uh, so the St Kilda people, I probably maybe Drake, Ian Drake or Johnny Beveridge, I'm not sure, um, uh, come along and watch the game. And, and it sort of all sort of started from there. Um, but I was too young at the time and uh, just going about my business at my local club and playing with mates and, and whatever. So uh, the day I turned 15 and a half, I think was the, the age back then. And um, Street Trot and uh, Johnny Beveridge knocked at my door at about 7.30 in the morning, the day I turned 15 and a half. And look, they'd been really good. Um, I didn't really consider the fact that they were struggling at the time. Uh, I probably didn't even think much beyond um, playing under 19 footy, to be honest. Um, and that's how it all started. Um, so I played two games, I think, in the 19s when the club I was at, we played some bottom teams and I went and played two games. And um, and then they sort of asked me, would I be prepared to go and play the... I think I ended up playing nine, I think, with the under-19s that year. Um, and, and that's sort of how I, I ended up at, at, at St Kilda. Um, much to the... Um, anger of my father who was a Fitzroy supporter and, and Arthur Wilson from Fitzroy got on on the phone a few times and, and, and there was a bit of backward and forward going on there and um, and yeah look they were we were we were a, a battling club back then and but you know I didn't know any better so um, I was just enjoying myself with some with some really good mates who I met from Ballarat and, and, and other areas and um, you know and, and that's how it sort of all started out. It's um it's funny that you mentioned Stuart Trot because we actually had him on the show last week um, and he told us yeah told us one of the stories of, of how he how he discovered Nicky Winmar over in Perth which was which was great but um what was the what was the messaging that that Stuart Trot and Ian Drake and Johnny Beveridge and, and those guys kind of sold you on because like Parko said the club was really battling at, at that stage and you know question marks about whether the club even survives you know past a few more years and, and all that sort of stuff but what was what was it that they sold you on about about getting you down to Moorabbin at that point? Nick, I'll be honest with you, mate. I was fifteen, um, <laughs> so you know it didn't take much. I was a football nut. Um, I, I barracked for Fitzroy as a kid. I um, would study every team when it came out on a Thursday night. Um, I lived and breathed footy, so it could have been it could have been anyone really. Um, and and you know they just. They didn't. They didn't preach anything. For memory, I, they didn't preach anything that was over the top. It was just an opportunity, um, and you know, pretty much they probably had me when they walked in the door. When I, you know, seven thirty in the morning, the day I turned fifteen and a half. So I was a pretty easy sell, to be honest. So just uh, yeah, get there quite young. Um, is there any of the big names, say Plugger or? Barks or something like that pulled you aside at any point and said, "Look, this is how we do it. This is this is what we're expecting from you. If, if you want a game, this is what you need to do." Sort of thing. Do you think Plugger's pulled too many blokes aside and told them this is the way we do things? No, um, no. Look back then, I, I didn't have a great deal of exposure in that first year to to many of the senior players. I, I played I played nine games in the nineteens. Um, we made a late run for the finals for memory. I think we played. Hawthorne in an elimination final in that first year. Um, and 
you know, again, mate, I'm 15 and I'm playing under 19 footy and we're playing at Waverley um, in a way. And I, I lived in that area. So in a way, I'm already living the dream, to be honest. Um, so uh, it wasn't until the following year that I, I started to have a little bit more contact with the senior group. Um, and, and you're probably not surprised. I mean, the main, the main um, protagonist for me was Jeff Cunningham. I mean, he was... He was welcoming. He was, um, you know, he's playing state footy. Um, so you already knew a, a bit about him as a player. And he was, he was probably the first of the senior guys that, that, that um, and the most welcoming, I guess, at the time. Uh, obviously, 87 Bulldog takes over as coach. You only played a, a couple of games. I guess a two-part question. I should know the answer to the first part, so apologies that I don't. Did you play in the 87 Reserves Grand Final against Carlton when we uh, we got rolled there uh, before they ended up winning the senior flag? And then obviously, 88 was a, a bit of a breakout year for you. You came in, played 15 games in a row towards the end of the year and averaged about 26 touches towards the end of the year. So I guess... Uh, you turned, I think, 20 that year. So was it just yep. a case of maturing into it? But um, how did you, I guess, transition into becoming a, a regular? Um, yeah, the, 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 the grand final um, team, um, yeah, I did play in that grand final, the reserve grand final. Uh, there was a whole heap of, um, of, of guys that had come through in the 19s. Um, and uh, we'd made a run the previous year in the, the under-19s. We played a certain amount of games in the, I think I, I can't remember when I was the first senior game and we played a heap in the twos. We couldn't play too many uh, because then we couldn't go back and play 19. So we played right up to the limit, went back, qualified for the finals in the 19s or we might have just missed out on percentage or something. And, um, and so then we come through in 87, um, had a really good year. Um, and uh, that was primarily a group of young kids and we played, we beaten Carlton three times during the year. Uh, leading up to that grand final, they they got us in the grand final. They had you know, they had Sheldon played, Silvani played. Um, they had a lot of lot of talent coming through, and a lot of older players dropping back. Um, and I think they got us by about three and a bit goals that day. Uh, but I, you know, I mean, and I I had a really good year at that level. Um, but to be honest, I still wasn't ready for senior footy. Um, I remember I played one of those night games. We played Essendon. Might even have been at the start of 87. Um, and a guy, Stephen Carey, played at Essendon, a real nuggety defender. And I was 71 kilo, skinny kid. And I, I, I gave away for a kick. I pushed him in the back. And he had these eyes. He looked up. And I remember I apologised to him. I pushed him in the back. And I, I said, sorry. <laughs> you know, and I thought, oh, geez, I've still got a way to go here. Um <laughs> So that, that the the following year, that yeah, the eighty eight year was the first year. Um, I had to win Doc over. Doc wasn't initially. Um, I don't think he was sold on me as a player, so I had to win him over, and eventually I, I did. And once once I had his trust, um, he was really good for me actually, um, in, in a different way to a lot of the other coaches. But uh, that was the the beginning, and and. You know, the kids that come through these days, A, they're a bit older. Um, they're a bit more trained up. I, I'm still a kid from from North Dandenong, really, trying to find my way. And um, uh, it took me quite a while to feel like I belonged at that level. And so that 88 was probably the first time that I actually would go out every week and actually feel like I, I was part of the, 
team and contributing. So, um, I don't know, in 89, I think I played every game the, the, the following year. So, um, yeah, they were good years, actually. 88, 89 were good years for me, personally. I was going to say that throughout your career, I mean, you played for, for 11 years, I think, across the journey. And, and a lot of those years were kind of cruel by injury. But it was those two years, 89, 88, 89, that were kind of your best, both in terms of kind of getting out in the park and, and playing games, but also statistically. And you mentioned Doc and, and that kind of coach-player coach relationship. But what was it about Doc that kind of got you up and about? What was that relationship like? Um Initially, it was it was tough going, um, and Doc was old school, so he had some. Um, he was he was he was a hard taskmaster. I mean, you guys would remember what Moorabbin used to be like back in the day. It was there was not much grass on it, and you know we do we do two hour sessions on a Thursday night, two on two. Um, and looking back, I can sort of see what he was trying to do, but also. You know, we we get to Saturday and and, and we we're pretty spent to be honest. But he 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 started to give me some play me more through the midfield, which which I guess is is um, is is more of what I enjoyed and what I'd grown up doing. Um, and 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 he look, he was he was I I probably thought at the time there were he was pretty old school in his ways, but. He understood the game, and a perfect example that there was a game we played Sydney. Um, it's a pretty famous game because uh, Greg Williams had fifty three and kicked six, I think. Um, and I played on him that day, and that's a I, I, well, it's incredible effort, isn't it? Um, and it's a funny story in a way, and, and it's a lesson for me that that unfortunately I had to go through that to learn, but. At halftime, we, we, we were sort of going head-to-head, and I played on Greg quite a bit, um, and I was going okay, and we were in the game. Uh, and then the first 10 minutes of the third quarter, I reckon I had six or seven touches, and the runner kept coming out to Greg and telling him that he was he was moving he was moving forward. And I'm a young kid. I'm thinking, hey, how good's this? I've, I've got him. And he kept telling the runner to nick off, and he, he wouldn't budge. And um, Frankie Coglin, who was a really good mate of mine at the time, um, we're, we're at Sydney and you know, that loud music's blaring in between goals and we're right in the game. And Frankie said to me at the stop, he said, hey, you keep going, I've got him, I've got him. Um, and 10 minutes later, he kicked four goals. <laughs> and it was on me because I'd sort of kept doing my own thing and lost my way a little bit, got ahead of myself probably. Um, and, you know, in the end, he has 53 and he kicked six and they, they won pretty comfortably. And um, Frankie and I talk about that when we catch up quite a bit and Doc was hard on me and at the time I couldn't see it and Alan Davis sort of talked me through it during the week and you know, it was, he was quite right I, I, I had a role to do and I stepped away from what I was doing and um, I got burnt so he was a really good he, he understood the game um, and it took me a while to appreciate that and he certainly gave me the opportunity to um, to, to you know make a, a small little mark at senior footy just a quick interject. You had 34 yourself that day, so by any reckoning, that's not a bad afternoon. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'd look, look, surprise, surprise, he got the three on Brownlow night. I, I, I got two, but no one remembers my game today. He's, he's had 53 and kicked six. I was about to say, it's not a bad effort to have someone get 53 on your kick six and you still got Brownlow eight, so it's, a, it's, it's not a bad effort. 
you wouldn't get wouldn't get a look in the next week as a tagger these days like that. Um, the other the other part of sort of from what you were saying there, I was going to ask the position you sort of found, I guess your niche in. You, you were described as was the key word back in that that period as the utility. Mm. It was just a, a it's a position that's just completely vanished these days. It's where where did you find you were i guess more most comfortable on the field and felt like yep this is my position i'm i'm setting this this spot this is where i want to be on the field when when we run out there so the most comfortable was 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 probably 91 92 the back end of both years when we had it was pretty much um myself playing in the center Harris playing ruck rover and Berkey playing um, as we're over, and then we, we'd change in and out. Um, every time I, I'd go back uh, and play, and Peter Francis might have been the coach, and then Barks was the coach of the twos for a period, and, and uh, um, I think we might have had uh, Gary Colling was coach of the twos for a little while as well. And I'd go back and I'd play centre all the time. And, and you know, as I come up, Greg Burns was our, was our centreman, and um, we'd play intra club games. and I'd walk away, you know, at the time as a young fella, I'd had a pretty good day, but Burns is going at half speed and doing what he needed to because he was a, you know, he was a veteran and he didn't really need to do much in those practice games. So, I mean, the, the answer to your question was um, I, I was more comfortable playing as a centerman, uh, as an old school centerman. Forward um, for me was, was you know when you got low and lock it, it sounds easy, but it's it's I found that difficult. Um, and and when Sheldon coached, I actually played a couple of games across the halfback flank as well, which was interesting. Um, I remember playing on Wanganina when he played for Essendon one day, and I went okay, and then the next week, no good, you know. So um, I was certainly more comfortable playing as a as a a centre player, ruck rover, sort of um, predominantly, predominantly forward of centre, I guess, as opposed to pushing too too far back in defence. Obviously, in 1990, late in the year, you played a couple of games forward and kicked five against Fitzroy and Essendon in the the last game, the, the game where all the Danahurst played. At 91, you missed a fair bit of footy. We'll touch on the injuries a bit later, but 92, you're back into the year, as you spoke about. You had 30 in the last round when we beat Melbourne to make the finals, and then you had 27 and kicked two in the elimination final against mm-hmm. Collingwood. Is that, if you look over your career, is 75,000 at Waverley, elimination final against Collingwood, you kick a couple, you set up the sealer as well in the last quarter. Is that the, I guess, the standout moment from a playing point of view that you played a, a big game in a really big game for the club? It was the first final St Kilda had won in nearly 20 years. Yeah, definitely, Darren. Look, I was disappointed in 91 that I, I didn't, I didn't, um, this is work, sorry, guys. <laughs> Um, that I didn't play in 91. Um, uh, yeah, Ken and I have spoken a numerous times since then at various catch-ups and uh, I, I, I thought I was going as well as I ever have in, in 91. Um, um, Ken chose a couple of other guys to play. Um, I played in the twos in the Geelong final in 91 and we had a big win and you know, I went really well and um, I sat in the stand thinking, well, I'll play the following week and, and, and you know, we had a couple of Berkey got knocked out, Granny got knocked out, Spud did his Achilles and um, we got beat by a goal, I think it was seven points or something, got Geelong. Um, so we missed out. So 92, 
it certainly was the biggest game. I think I, the, the Collingwood game at the MCG, I think I missed with injury. So I missed that one, which was obviously a huge game. The, we beat them by a point, I think. So that final, um, yeah, it was amazing. Uh, and, and, you know, I reckon I've seen that game uh, since on tape numerous times, and I reckon it stands up. It's a, it's, if you go back and look at it, it's a, it's a really high-quality game of footy, and it's really enjoyable to watch. And I, and I, you know, I caught up with a few of the boys not long ago, Jason Daniels and, and, and Berkey and Shanners, and, um, yeah, it's a really proud game. To, to to have played in. The following week, we played Footscray. Howling wind. We kicked into it in the first quarter. Chris Grant kicked four goals, I think, the first 15 minutes, and we just couldn't peg them back. Um, but that year, I think we'd beaten all the sides that eventually played off. West Coast, Geelong. Um, we'd beaten Collingwood, Hawthorne. We'd beaten them all in the back end of that year pretty comfortably, and we were pretty confident that we, we'd go all right. Our, our Achilles heel was the wind. Um, I mean, Lockett kicked five, I think, in that final against Footscray, but but he you know, he wasn't his best in the win. And Lowy, um, a great mate of mine, but God, when the wind blew, I knew we were in trouble with Lowy. So um, I can knew that too. So yeah, I think we got beat by twenty odd points or something that day. But the Collingwood game was amazing. Yeah, it was a, a really good, uh, really good memory for me. You talk about that game standing up. I think I think most St Kilda fans that kind of grew up in that period or or, or were already kind of established as, as Saints fans watching that ninety one ninety two period, kind of all agree that that ninety one ninety two team stands up as one of our best teams ever. Um, obviously, before that, we, we've kind of spoken about where the club was at before that and kind of the mid to late eighties already. But what was it that changed heading into that ninety one year? Was it just pure? force of talent you look at those names coming through and you know getting more games into the likes of halves and Berkey and, and Stewie Lowe and Nicky Winmar and, and those types of guys what was it that that kind of brought that team about um yeah to, to a degree and a, a fair percentage was was the development of players but um the appointment of Sheldon was was critical um you know Ken Ken was a he's a pretty wild child Ken was a player um and to to um, and it was I imagine it would have been difficult for him going from player to coach, but what he did was he instilled um, I think what what it was that was required to be um, a competitor, a really competitive team, and um, and look a couple of times he probably tipped over. We played a practice game at at Subiaco. No, the Whacker, I think it was, against the Eagles. Um, and it was a – we got beat. We come back and, you know, we, we – we, instruction was we drive straight back from the airport to Moorabbin and we had a two-hour training session running the stairs. Like the sports science guys would go crazy these days, you know, straight off the plane. And um, – but at the same time, we had a couple of other Sunday mornings after a loss where we turn up, we thought we were going to get punished and we – it was more a common sense approach and we chatted it through and we had a few beers and, um, but um, Ken was primarily the the one, he was the one that, that turned the club around, I think. Oh yeah. We've talked about 89, 90, uh, oh, sorry, 889, 91, 92, but 93 yourself. You, mm-hmm. Statistically you look at 93 and that was a, for the games he played a huge season. Um, yeah. He ended up playing, nine matches 
but in that time picked up eight Brownlow votes. So extend it out into the season. You look at that and you think, well, you've probably played a lot better than a lot of the, I guess, high-end players in that season. Do you feel like when you were playing that year, you'd really found a, really found your, I guess, form? And is it just looking back now going, you wish you had a whole, a full year that year to really, really dig in and give what you had those few games? Yeah, I had, I had um, again, Ken and I have had conversations uh, over a couple of years about this. And, and um, you know, I went through a patch. 90, 91, 91, 92, 93, I thought I was playing my, my best footy and my body was okay, albeit um, I had some issues. I had a couple of operations at the end of the year and and, um, and struggled for a little while to, to get back up. Um, and, and you know, I, 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 I knew... Probably not as much as I know now, but it was. I knew at the time that, that for me to compete at that level, I really needed to be 100%. And if I was, you know, they talk about guys who can play with injuries. I was never that good to be able to do that. So I had to have everything right, um, feeling good and be able to run. Um, and and I had some, just some, some injuries and I started to get some tendonitis through my top of my hamstrings and... Um, uh, had one of them operated on, um, and, and just a couple of other things that that just didn't allow me to free up at training to get in the condition that was required to play consistent footy week after week. So um, I had some certainly had some games in '93 where I was I was up and going, but uh, I, I wasn't I, I wasn't physically able to do it for long enough in '93, '91, '92. I was at the end of the day, I thought it was opportunity that. That um, that cost me in ninety one, ninety two, but ninety three, there were some other issues that I had that that I battled through, um, and and you know, and that that, that led in ninety four. I did the knee ninety four, and and really, um, probably looking back, the rehab that I did was was whilst it was great at the time, it probably wasn't the best rehab for me, um, and my speed wasn't necessarily my forte but once I got back from the knee I, I had no speed really I, you know it's just too big up top nothing through the legs and no core well not strong enough through the core and that's what I should have been doing in my rehab but you know I can, it's easy to say that in 2021 um, looking back but I thought I was doing the right thing at the time and clearly I wasn't so Final one for me, and obviously the, the injuries. I mean, you, you played 80 for the club and probably left at least another 80 out there with injuries as, as well. But that last year at, at Fitzroy, obviously you spoke about growing up as a Fitzroy supporter. What was it like going to a club that I think the writing was on the wall to a degree at the end of 95, as sad as it was, I think, for, for everybody? We spoke to Jason Heatley, who um, a couple of years earlier had been on the books at Fitzroy before he went to West Coast and ended up at St Kilda, and he spoke about the challenges. I mean, the Saints weren't a powerhouse, but what was it like going from a club like St Kilda who were struggling to a degree to a club that was effectively, for want of a better expression, on death's door in, in 96? I'd actually retired, to be honest, Darren. I, I, I remember going in and, and speaking to Stan about uh, 1995, uh, 1996, and um, I'd really struggled. That The tendonitis, uh, I had it in the other hamstring. The knees weren't great, Um Pretty much from the the waist down, I was I was really struggling, and I couldn't do the training to the level that was required. And 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 I I had a couple of mates, Kane Taylor, and a few other mates who I'd grown up with were at Springvale, and I I remember going into Stan, and I said, look, mate, I 
before you start talking, let's, I think I'm done. Um, and um, so I'd actually retired, to be honest, and was was pretty much ready to go down and start playing footy at Springvale. Um, Ricky Nixon was my manager at the time. And um, I was working with Bevo, Luke Beveridge. Bevo and I worked together for about 10 years. And Rick, Ricky rang me at one point and he said, um, you're not going to believe this. There's um, two clubs are, are actually interested in having a chat here. And I, I, I was staggered. I really thought I was, I was done. Um, uh, so one was Footscray, one was, was Fitzroy. So I met with both. Um, and um, Fitzroy offered a two-year deal. We sort of knew that it was going to be a bit of a challenge, but, you know, it was, it was sort of last chance saloon sort of stuff. Give it a go. I'd spoken with Michael Noonan. Uh, I was coaching Fitzroy at the time. He pretty much gave me, because uh, I was living in back with mates in, in North Dandenong, and he pretty much gave me up until Christmas to do my own thing, which, which, which was attractive. Um, so I, I did some stuff in a gym and I, and I went down to, to Fitzroy and, and you're right. It was a, it was a, it was almost, you go back to St Kilda back in the late eighties. It was almost, you know, below, below that, unfortunately, just given, had some great people, some really talented players, but the infrastructure and the, it was just hard work playing games. I think at the Western Oval, um, training at Coburg, competing with Coburg footy club, ground had just been, um, uh, redone, so they drain marks going across. It was it was just it was really, really hard work. Eye opener with the colour. It's where I got introduced to Martin Pike. Um, Pike was an interesting character. Um, We've heard that a ama- few times actually. Oh, some amazing things. Like I just was blown away by some of the stuff that went on. Um, but. And then I had the I had the, the issues with the, the the tendonitis flared again. We played a practice game I think in Fremantle and it, it it flared up again. It really hindered me. So I was I was in and out. I missed a lot of games. Um, then I had the opportunity to go and get the the operation, which would have put a line through me. Um, I had a chat with Ricky and and I thought, no, nah, look, I'll, I'll give it another go. And and in the end, I probably played okay in the back end of that year to get back in. But they were, and I fully understood they were. They were pretty keen to play a lot of the guys that had been around for a while, knowing that it was all all done. Um, so it was it was a bit of a grind. And I'll be honest with you, when Brisbane took over, um, I wasn't sure I had that second year in me anyway, to be honest. Um, and yeah, that was an experience in itself, having these Sunday morning meetings um, at, 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 at Coburg with Brisbane people basically telling us how they were going to take the joint over and... Um, they're going to pick certain players and, and Pikey would roll in halfway through the meeting with a coffee and then the same clothes that he went out in the night before. It was, it was quite entertaining, but it was a bit sad because I was a Fitzroy supporter as a kid. Um, um, but, you know, once AFL make up their mind, it's, it's pretty hard to fight against that. Mick, last one for me, and, and it's a bit of a two-parter. One's a little bit lighthearted and one's a bit more serious. But uh, we'll start with the lighthearted one. But you probably look younger now than you did back when you were playing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do, you, do you remember any any good sledges or anything that you copped either from opposition players, supporters, or our own fans oh. out in the in the animal enclosure? Oh, mate, I, I heard some some crackers. Fortunately, I'm very thick-skinned, so nothing worried me. Um, there, was, there was one game. I reckon we were playing North Melbourne on a Friday night and – and I don't even know who it was, but someone I was going in to kick kick for goal, and, and someone was yelling at 
calling me pube head. And I thought, oh, that's funny. That's not too bad. Um, a whole heap of stuff come from over the fence. So, I mean, some of the funnier moments in footy were listening to some of the, you know, yeah, it was always the start of the second quarter and the start of the third quarter. You could, everything just went a bit quieter and you could hear a lot more stuff that was coming over the fence. Um, so, yeah, you're right. COVID hasn't been kind, um, unfortunately. Um, and I've got some you know, pretty bad knees. So the exercise has dropped considerably in the last 10 years. Um, I'm hoping to fix that next year and finally get a, a couple of knees replaced. But, um, yeah, it was some – I always had a laugh, mate. I didn't take anything too personally, I can promise you. I, no. I couldn't afford to, could I? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's good. I, I guess the second part of the question, and, and like I said, a little bit more serious, but, but you played – was the majority or, or the entirety of your career, um, the majority at least, under under the captaincy of Danny Frawley. Yep. Um, what, are you, what are your memories of, of Spartan and what's one thing that you kind of take away as, as his legacy at, at St Kilda? Um, the main thing about Danny was whenever we caught up, um, I, I always left that catch-up feeling better for having been there. It was always... Such a great time. I mean, he was a, um, you know, a very emotional man, but he was he was a class clown. That's why he, he, he did what he did on the bounce and he did it so well. Um, um, a, a hard leader, like really tough leader, but I was fortunate enough to, um, back in the day, back when I was a kid, I, I used to do the clinics, I used to do the rounds with, with Danny and Gary Lyon. So we'd hop in a, in a car and we'd go away for a weekend. And you know, I'm, I think I was 16, 17. I'm doing these clinics with, with Gary Lyon and, and, and Danny Frawley. So I got to know him really well. Um, you know, uh, went to his wedding with Anita um, and, and felt part of the, the Frawley crew. So, and I, look, I knew he was struggling. I, I was actually, he was doing a bit of work for me. Um, Spud, he was, ironically, he was, I organised him to deliver a. I worked for Cedar College, and he, he was he was about to do a, a speech to one of our regional, so probably 100, 120 kids, um, two weeks before the incident on mental health, and he and he he messaged me to say um, he he couldn't do it, and you know I didn't I didn't think anything of it at the time, um, and then Shannon's actually rang me to to tell me what had happened, and I'd heard about it in the morning, and I just didn't put two and two together. Um, and look, I, I was angry. I was angry with him, um, but you know, I, an amazing captain, um, super bloke, very entertaining, and um, yeah, miss him dearly. Just finally, uh, what I guess seems appropriate was your final game actually ended up being against St Kilda. It was. It was. Um, did. Are you happy that it finished like that or being the Fitzroy supporter, do you think you go, you would have liked to have played that final game over in Perth or are you sort of happy that looking, maybe looking at that from the outside? Um, there's a couple of things, multifaceted this, this answer because um, I, I'd, I'd booked it. I, I flew to Europe on the Thursday after that game. I had it all booked. Um, I actually, uh, Lowy, and, and his wife at the time, we were catching up in um, Germany. Um, so my mind was sort of, you know, I'd, I'd sort of tuned out um, 
I thought I, I, I deserved to play in the last couple of games, but understood why I didn't. And I was actually playing okay. So when I knew we were playing St Kilda, um, I got played on Rocket, Owen, uh, Rocket, um, yeah, yeah. Rod Keo, yeah. I played on uh, when he was at Melbourne and got to know him really well when he comes to Kilda. Um, and, I, and I played on him. Um, and I was playing okay at the time. And we had a win. I think we won that one. I think Fitzroy won that game, to be honest. Um, um, the the win that year was against Frio. No, no, the, the, that reserve game, that last game. Oh, okay. Oh, right. yep. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, no, that last other game was no good. That was terrible. Last two were no good. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, it was, you know, it was, it's one of those things. I'm, 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 I'm pretty much a realist. So I understood where, where I was um, and, I, you know, yeah, sentimentality was great. Good to play with some mates who I, who I knew. Um, but I knew I was done. So um, it was probably a nice touch to end up playing, playing against St Kilda, albeit at reserve level. Um, um, but yeah, and then the other one was obviously the, to play in the, the last win that Fitzroy had against Frio, um, <laughs> albeit at Witten Oval in front of 550 people. But it was a great win. So uh, I can hang my head on that anyway. Mick, thank you very much. Uh, good luck with everything going forward. Appreciate you uh, sharing the story. I think a lot of Saints fans have some some great memories of your footy. I, I remember, I mean, a lot of my early video memories of footy were 91, 92, and, yeah, that, that final always stands out in my mind, the elimination final at Waverley from 92. But uh, well done on the uh, on the contribution, and, and thanks for stopping by. No problem, guys. Much appreciated. Thank you. Mick Dwyer there. We look ahead to Port Adelaide, uh, now we'll we'll put a little disclaimer and asterisks on this that at the we're recording this on a Thursday night and everybody knows the week we've been in we're we're going into lockdown very shortly again and things change. Uh, Essendon and North Melbourne were supposed to play at Marvel. They've both gone to Queensland. Brisbane and Richmond were supposed to play at the MCG tomorrow. They've both flown up to Queensland again to play at Metricon. But it looks at the time of recording and that may change. But the time of recording is that our game against Port Adelaide will remain at Marvel. Uh, there is a possibility that it will be moved forward to potentially a 145 game as opposed to the night game. So Port Adelaide can get out and, and back home, um, given the, the way it's all working with borders. That might change, but at this stage, it's a home game, probably in front of no fans. The other possibilities where we relinquished the home game and played in Adelaide, which would have been unfortunate, or that we moved to Perth, where we play, where we're scheduled to play the Eagles the following week, but there's all sorts of border issues around that. But it looks at this stage like we'll be playing Port Adelaide at Marvel Stadium. They've lost a few guys in the likes of Rosie, Motlop, Butters. They've obviously still got no Dersman, no Fantasia, no Gray, no Rockliffe. So a lot of their smaller goal-kicking type options are not there. They've still got Charlie Dixon, obviously, and guys like Marshall and Georgiades that can, can hit the scoreboard for them. Holly Wines is in great form. They've changed the ruck up a bit with Laddams coming in, who ironically I think was a player we got linked to in the paper during the week. So I guess we could have a look at him and hopefully he gets demolished by Ryder and Marshall. But, um, uh, yeah, they're, they're a good side, Port, but they're, I think they've, they've proven that they are exactly where they are on the ladder. They're probably the fifth or sixth best team in the AFL. They're not beating the teams above them but they are beating the sides below them. We, we are one of those, but we feel that we're at about that level maybe if we get it all together. So um, it's a highly, highly winnable game. Uh, we can't afford to slip up too many times in the run home, uh, given the mistakes we made earlier in the year. But 
if we can win this, then we're, um, we put ourselves in a good position. And as I said at the start, if we win this game, we'll finish the round in the eight. Yeah. I, look, I, I watched a fair bit of their game last week against Melbourne, and I, I wouldn't say Melbourne was all that, I guess, impressive. They were good, but that, that hasn't been the best they've been all year, and they still managed to beat them by five goals. Um, I don't know if Porter, they're, they're very much one of those teams that, like they've shown really good, really good football over the over weeks, but the other weeks they they don't turn up, and we got to hope that this week is one of those weeks where Charlie can't find the ball and the defense breaks down a little bit like they did last week, and it, it's just yeah we if we get them on the right week we can actually yeah pick up a nice win. They're playing us in a stadium that they. I don't think they even know where it is. So that that's one thing that we can hopefully reason to stay in Melbourne. Um, I mean, their yeah, first opportunity to watch us play in there for, what is it now, eight years, I think? And yeah, 2013 was the last time we played in there. Yeah. yeah. So eight, eight years ago, and yeah, yeah, we still can't see it. So it's, yeah, yeah it's a, um, it just seems to be a, a, a cursed game. We knew something was going to happen as soon as we saw the other next team were playing. So, um, well, it's funny, yeah, it's, just it's, on that, I mean, it's a quirk of the fixture. I know it's hard to look from year to year, but in the last eight games we've played against Port Adelaide, seven of them have been Port Adelaide home games. Mm-hmm. And the only one that was our home game was in China, China, which was a relinquished game to Port anyway. So they've played eight home games in a row against one team. So it's not right that it falls that way, but that's the way I, it goes. I said, to, I said yeah. to someone in the office this morning that, that I reckon Koshy started COVID because it just meant that we were never going to play them in Melbourne here again. Like, <laughs> just doesn't make sense how this is how this has worked out. But there was never any any possibility even that we were going to play Port in Melbourne because it just doesn't happen. But I, I just just before we get on onto this next game, and, and I, I just wanted to we, we've been doing this podcast for three years nearly, and and you know we've all had some some great discussions and chats with former players and legends of the footy club. But mm. for me, that was, that was a really cool thrill to chat with Mick Dwyer because as a five or six year old in the early nineties, Mick Dwyer is really noticeable on the field and, and the way that he looked, you know, chasing the ball, running the ball down the wing, etc. He was incredibly noticeable. And for me, that was, that was almost one of the, the most fun interviews that we've done. And it was just a really cool thing. I, I don't get kind of fanboy very often, but, you know, we've had Rob Rob Harvey, we've had Stuart Lowe a couple of times, we've had Nathan Burke and and some of these great secure legends. We had Barry Breen and, and Stuart Trott last week. Um, but that was just really cool. I love chatting with, with Mick Dwyer and that was that was a lot of fun. Um but cool part just on that is a lot of those players that are you know, with, with all due respect to, to them, those players that don't necessarily, I mean, they played a lot of footy, but they wouldn't do as many interviews as others. They wouldn't do as many interviews as say Harvey or, or Lowe might do. Um will often get a bit of communication from them after an interview saying, geez, it was good to reminisce or I love being able to talk about that stuff because they don't do it that often. Guys like Mick Dwyer and David Grant, Frank Coughlin, um, even guys like uh, Andrew Thompson, Justin Peckett, those sorts of players that maybe don't get interviewed as often as others. I find that, yeah, they, they really enjoy. Jason Heatley was another one that they yeah. they get even, to sit down and talk about their career, which they don't do all that often. So. I mean, even even Zach Dawson a, a couple mm. of weeks ago, you know, who has been in the media and has done some high-profile mm. interviews over, over the last few years, but even mm. you know, to get a message from him um, in, in the, the days after that saying, thank you for, for giving me a voice and for allowing me to tell my story and, 
and you know those sorts of things was was just really nice and yeah i think when when we started this podcast three years ago we didn't really expect a whole lot um and you know i think it you know the the, the discussions and the guests that we've been able to, to get has been a, a i think a credit to to you guys and and the vision of of this program and and the way that you guys saw this saw this happening and you know it's just such a pleasure to do every week um and it's, it's just so much fun it's something that i look forward to every week so um but looking forward to this week you know i think that there's a lot there's a lot that can happen i think we've we've shown that our best football this year can compete with the best in the league you know we we put up three and a half really good quarters against geelong and we should have beaten geelong we put up three and a half really good quarters against sydney and we should have beaten sydney um you know west coast we obviously beat in melbourne uh, we've, we've beaten richmond um you know a, a lot of the good teams over the last few years we've we've performed really well with and, and we've been really competitive against and and up until you know the last month or so we haven't really put it together for four full quarters for for wins and we've gotten close against these good teams but we haven't we haven't done it for four full quarters until these last few weeks against richmond and and brisbane obviously last week but we showed last year that our best against the best in the competition is good enough. We beat Port Adelaide, who were, I think, hadn't lost a game at that stage, at least not at home anyway. Um, we beat them at the Fortress. Uh, and, and we showed that when we play our football, we play our brand of football, that that is tough, that is uncompromising, that is offensive-minded. And the the... I guess the emotional way that we play football, we move it fast, we hit targets, we, you know, we, we move down the corridor, uh, we kick long, we take contested marks and, and we, we take shots that go, we have scoring opportunities from directly in front because that's the way that we play football when we're playing the way that we want to play. And, and we didn't show that for long enough earlier in the season. We've been showing it in patches over the last few weeks. And last, last week, we kind of put that all together and, and we played the way that we want to play every week. And when we did that last year, we were very successful and, and we were very successful against this team. Um, and this is almost the perfect time to take them on because they're, they've kind of shown their last month has been up and down um, like it has been over the last two or three years. Their, their best is very good, but they also have the ability to go missing in patches against good teams and against teams that take it up to them. Um, and like you said, H, Melbourne weren't great. And I think Port, rightly or wrongly, have got a bit of a, a a bit of a reputation for being downhill skiers. When things are going well, they're really good, and, and when they're up against weaker teams and teams that they're better at, you know, they they play really well. But when teams take it up to them and you know pressure them and and move the ball quickly and and play offensive football, they can struggle and and they can struggle really badly. And and we've seen a few times this year that happen. And I think we're in a really good place to do that again this week, but we've got to turn up and, and, and hit the contest with the same mentality that we did against Brisbane, no matter where we play, whether it's at Marvel, whether it's at, at Optus, whether it's at the Gabba, even if it's at Adelaide Oval, we, you know, four months ago, we played them at Adelaide Oval and they were almost unbeatable at that stage and, and we beat them. Um, so it almost doesn't matter where we play. We have no excuses this week. Um, so you know, it's 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 one of those almost unthinkable positions. Three weeks ago or four weeks ago, when we had that that chat with Grant Thomas, but this week we have zero excuse. 
Port Adelaide are the perfect team to beat this week. And it doesn't matter if we play them in Melbourne, in Brisbane, in Adelaide. It doesn't matter. We have no excuses not to beat this team. How are you reading it, H? Are you in that sort of same line of thinking? It's very winnable. Very very winnable match. Um, as I was yeah, saying before, if, if, if we put the game together that we've put together the last three weeks... That, that's a that's a winning winning formula i mean we we just you uh, i guess nail it down to position by position by position and highmore does his job down back that he's been doing and mckenzie does the job he's been doing in the forward line for the last three weeks and just those lesser players that we don't i guess get the credit in the media from that it, they're only just getting noticed now it seems that they do their jobs and the steals and the crouches and all that sort of, all those players, they step up further and they get better. So it's just a knock on effect of, of these yeah, players further down who on our list, I think I was saying a few weeks ago that our bottom six has turned into almost like a 12 or 13 at some, in some games, that bottom six has almost shrunk to, one occasionally maybe two or three but our bottom six has been the best it's been all year it's the improvement in just three weeks is amazing and to let us drop now would would be vastly disappointing so yeah it it, coming up there with that same i guess attitude we've had for the last three weeks that that we've shown that we've got since the break Take them on and, and de- definitely can knock them off. It, it, it could be a, a quite a good win if you look at it the way Melbourne did it last week. I want to ask you guys a question about Jack Steele because obviously he's, he's in the media a fair bit now. Finally, after all year, he's been our best player for a long time. We saw him last year, he was all Australian for the first time. He's second, you know, equal runner up or, or whatever in the Brownlee medal. This year, right now, you can get in for $26 in the Brownlow medal. And, and I've been looking over the last month at kind of top three, top five markets to see what sort of value you can get for, for Jack Steele in the Brownlow. I, I don't think he'll win it, but you know, I think I think he'll be thereabouts. Um, a, do you think Jack Steele can win the Brownlow this year? And B, is there a better captain in the AFL right now? Because I'm not sure there is. And, the fact and that we're winning games. captain of the All-Australian team this year. Yeah, the fact that we're winning games clearly helps now because it could turn ones into threes. You look at early in the year, he, he dominated against Melbourne and Essendon in games we lost. and would be an outside chance to get a vote in those, particularly against Essendon when we got flogged. Um, it might be hard, but um, yeah, I mean, I've, I haven't looked at the Brownlow market, but I'm assuming Bontempelli and Petrarca, those sorts of guys are up around the top and uh, $2.20, $2.50. Yeah, I mean, so Steele would be competing. In, in an all-Australian captaincy sense, you'd, you'd imagine Steele would be competing with Bontempelli for probably for that title. Um, uh, I get the feeling they go with Bont, but whether they should, um, yeah, it's, it's a tricky one. I mean, the Bulldogs are going to finish higher. He may win the Brown, though. Um, they may win the flag. Um but yeah, it's a, it's a tricky one. Um, he should certainly be in the All Australian team. I think he'll definitely finish top five in the Brown. Though. I think if he could bet on place, and that, plus he's now proven he can get votes, which is important. You don't always get votes straight away. Um, I think he'll get probably or possibly three consecutive three vote games in the last three weeks. Um, 
He'll probably get votes in the loss to Adelaide. He'll probably get votes in the loss to Sydney. Um, he'll probably get votes in the wins over North. Um, the, AFL, the AFL Brownlow tracker has him at 20 votes right now. Okay. And they've got... So if he gets three more best on somehow, then... Well, they've got Bonds at 26. Yeah. I think Steele is equal Mm. third or third. They've got Bonds at 26. Uh, I think it was Oliver at 23 and Steele at 20. Okay. I think think Parrish was up there too, I think, with... Parrish, he's been been enormous for us. And I think Bonds and Pelly is probably a better player. Uh, I'm not sure there's too much argument from anyone. He's a better player Steel, than most. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, but I, yeah. and I think Steele has kind of shown himself and proven to be amongst the league's elite players. When it oh, comes he's to a top five player in the comp, I would think. When yeah. it comes to captaincy, I'm not, I'm, I'm not sure I'd be taking Bontempelli over Steele. As, as a player, obviously, mm-hmm. if you have to choose, you've got a number one draft pick, who are you choosing, Bontempelli or Jack Steele? You're probably taking Bontempelli and there's zero argument, mm-hmm. really. But mm. if you had to choose someone who's been on your list for five years and who's going to be your next captain, captaincy material, I'm not sure I'd be skipping over Jack Steele for that role. No, I think that's fair. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, import. Sorry, Hatch. I was going to say, I, I, I was having a look at that tracker earlier in the week and I I saw how many votes Bond was on and I reckon he might have a few taken by a few other players bit more than what they're bringing on there, that they're a very even team. I mean, we look at what our votes are throughout this year and Steel's a mile ahead. Like It's, it's so far ahead that you could take the rest of the season off, but you're still going to win by a long way. So it's, yeah, Bulldogs are a lot more even at that very top end. Um, I think uh, McRae's going to take a lot more off him at the start of the year. Daniel's probably going to take quite a few off him. Um, Dunkley, I think, is quite underrated. I think he might get a few take, to take off him as well. So it's well, there's and Trelaw earlier in the year and Lockie Hunter's Trelaw. There's there's so many names there that we don't know how umpires vote. That that's the thing. You just sometimes you look at it and go, they were the best that day, and so I. He stands out a fair bit because of his size, and he plays in the midfield like Fife and that, but. Yeah, I'm, I'd be interested to see whether he gets as many as these predictors predict him going ahead. It's just for this week, too, um, as a, a final thought from me, they could send Dunstan to Wines in the way that they sent him to Cunnington. That would be handy just to limit that through the middle of us that have got Boak and, and the like that, that can sort of go through there and be very dangerous. But if you could limit the impact of Wines, who's had some huge games this year, I think he's had upwards of 40 touches three times uh, this season. And that'd be pretty have, important. You'd rather have Steele and Boat go head to head, and yeah, Dunstan and then Dunstan to Wands, and then and then yeah. try to run run your your rest of your midfield: Hill, Billing, Sinclair, Crouch, Jones, Burns, Connolly, etc. Against the rest, but yeah, very winnable game. Um, hopefully, when we speak next week, we've won the game because it means we're in the eight, um, heading towards a clash with West Coast at Destination Unknown. So um, we'll wait and see what happens with that. We're still not sure we'll play Port at Marvel, but we think we will at this point. And that'll be the second time since 2010 uh, that, that that will happen, which is uh, breathtaking. And I think it's the third time since 2002 or thereabouts that we would have played them at our home ground. So, um, yeah, frustrating because obviously back in the day, a few home games in Tassie against them as well. So, um, yeah, it's been a bit of a barren a barren venue for St Kilda Port Adelaide matchups. But we look forward to that and... Go Saints and hopefully some more special guests to come.